Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you, we have an excellent actor on the show today. You know, you know, man from man, no man from Heroes or some Star Wars or Felicity or Alias. He did a great job last season on Law and Order SVU. And who can forget Big Ass Spider with our mutual friend Lombardo Boyar? But what I like about him, I want to start the conversation with him today. Is he's uh, he's using his celebrity for something good. He's being he's an advocate for epilepsy and he has a show called talk about it and my guest is greg grumberg how you doing greg i'm doing well steve how are you thanks for having me on yeah so tell me about you know i i was looking into it and i always love when actors use their celebrity to get a point across okay they sit there because you have a forum and with the shows you've been on with stuff when you're in the star wars and yours you have a big fan following so tell me about your path to getting involved with epilepsy and then also the show talk about it Sure. Um, so our oldest son, Jake, we have three boys. Our oldest son, Jake, when he was seven, he's 27 now. When he was seven, he started having these little staring spells. We didn't know what they were, and we had no history of epilepsy or seizures in our family. And um, it very quickly developed into other, you know, there's so many other types of seizures out there. Um, and, uh, you know, the big shaking kind we used to call the grand mal seizures. Now we call them tonic-clonic seizures. Um, and, um, so we very quickly had to learn about epilepsy and how to deal with and how to care for someone with, uh, you know, a seizure disorder. Um, he's 27 now he's doing well, thankfully for, you know, he's got good treatment, good medications and everything. But the one thing that I learned way back was that there wasn't really a voice and there's such a stigma attached to it. There's a stigma attached to any condition because people are uncomfortable. But if you see someone have a seizure, that's very scary. And if you don't know what to do. It just compounds that, uh, you know, and everybody's got something, right? Uh, if people say that they don't have, you know, they're like, ah, my life is perfect. They're lying. Everybody's got something. Everybody's got a friend that has something, a relative. And so we're all caregivers, <clears throat> even if we don't have someone in, their fa- in our family, it's, you know, immediate family. Um, and there is over 3 million people in the United States alone, 65 million people worldwide that have seizures and epilepsy. And so, um, you know, you, you multiply their fans, their friends and family, and and then you're dealing with a, a huge amount of people, tens of millions of people that are aware of it and that need need to know more, need to know that they're part of a community, need to not feel that they're alone. So I started talkaboutit.org um, it, with the help, you know, I enlisted the help of every celebrity I've ever worked with from t- all the TV and film projects to get the word out, to educate people. And so um, I think the best place for people to go is to talk about it on video.com. That is a place where we have all these really short form videos. It'll teach you what to do in case you see someone have a seizure. Because if you're empowered and you know what to do, you could save their life and it's common sense. Um, you know, never stick anything in their mouth. Don't let them fall. The seizure is not going to hurt them most of the time. It's the fall. It's the concussion. It's the hitting of the head or the your, your shoulder dislocating, or, I mean, you'd be surprised. So if you just know what to do and to, you know, ease them to the ground, put them on this, on their side, put something soft under their head, let the seizure ride itself out. It's going to last two minutes, three minutes tops. If it lasts more than that, call the paramedics. But if they, when they come out of it, don't yell at them, let them have their space. They're going to be a little groggy. Sometimes they're completely out of it. Sometimes they just pop out of it, but know what to do because, um, you know, it can affect anybody. You can have one seizure in your life, never have another seizure. That's not epilepsy, but there, you know, you should definitely know what to do. And I saw this big void. I saw, you know, every time everybody I talked to in the epilepsy community, when I was telling my story, 
said the same thing. There's nobody talking about it. There's nobody talking about it. I kept her- hearing that term. And then I realized, okay, so I bought uh, the domain talkaboutit.org and partnered with Ken and Phil. Um, and we have really, I think, changed the narrative, hopefully, um, removed some stigma, certainly got more understanding about the world of epilepsy and seizures over the years. And we've helped a bunch of different organizations. And so now Talk About It has grown. Um, I also started this new series called the Caregiver Series, which is something I'm so incredibly proud of. Um, people can go to the caregiverseries.com. I partnered with Jazz Pharmaceuticals. They're supporting it. And it, I go around the country and I talk to other fellow caregivers. I give them a day of care or whatever, an hour of care. You know, we go get coffee. We go drive a, a vintage car. We play pickleball. Just something to, to clear your mind and recharge your battery because it's so important for us as caregivers to, um, you know, to, to have self-care whether that's five minutes or an hour, you know, a day, whatever. And so that's been a, a really great thing. And, and, and I mean, it's a real show. It's like, it's, it's been so rewarding for me, but it's very cathartic and educational and, and uh, communal for the, the entire epile- uh, community, you know, caregiver community. So the caregiverseries.com, people should check that out as well. You know, you think about it, sometimes things happen for a reason. Like you seem to be very involved with this, but just now like the strike was going. So when the strike was going, that gave you t- probably time, more time to go out and develop this awareness. I mean, is that, is that true for you? Was it something that the strike actually, you're going to say a strike's good, but in retrospect, yeah. you might be like, you know what? I really kicked some ass and I got some stuff and I'm making a difference. Yeah. You know, more than anything, because a lot of this stuff's been in the works for years, but um, more than anything, it was able, it gave me time to actually travel to some of the events. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll do a video or I'll do a podcast or whatever, and I can't go to that fundraiser. I can't speak at that event because of my schedule, this allowed me to do some of that. I was just in San Diego for the, um, you know, for, for a fundraiser and I met so many people in person and that means a lot to me. And I, and I was able to, cause I have a, my podcast talk about it. And, and so a lot of times, you know, I'll do this over zoom like this, like you and I should be in the same room together. It's just so, such a difference, you know, but, but you do what you can do during the strike. It gave me the opportunity to, uh, to travel more. And it was nice. Now, what got you into acting? I know you've had a, you've had a very lengthy career. You've been, you've been in a bunch of shows. I mean, looking at it, you've been very lucky as an actor. I talked to a lot of actors and, you know, ups and downs, man, ups and downs, but you've been pretty steady. When, yeah. when did you decide that you wanted to act? Were you a funny kid? Or because I did stand up for eight years and professionally and I do it occasionally, but I did it just because I was sort of quiet in high school, but I made people laugh. But then in college, yeah. I got on stage for something. and I was like, oh, this is great. But what were you, yeah. what made you get into acting? I know what were you a funny kid or what was it? You know, I mean, I, I love getting reaction. That's what a lot of people are like. Oh, I was a class clown, and then I then I realized. Oh, it's all about that reaction. It's like I, I I think as actors we need that, we love that, and then I realized it's it's. <clears throat> I mean, realized. I think just it was part of me that appreciated um, people, any kind of reaction, not just comedy, but you know, um, if I could pretend, if I can put on another face, if I could, I just love that art form. I I, I love doing it. I love. Um, dropping everything i just i'm listening to henry winkler has a book out right now called being henry and it's so good and i'm listening to the audiobook of it and he's a friend of mine but he's he completely peels back the onion on his life and also on his art and 
you know, and his career. And it's it's so true. It's like to be a good actor, you really have to um, forget. Like when you're when you're doing it, it can't be about anything else. You have to. Forget, I mean, all the cameras, the crew, everybody. No one's there. You're that character, and you're if you're acting, you're doing it wrong. You have to react. You just have to react the way that character would react. And I learned very early on. I was like, this is really fun. I was in school plays when I was in elementary school, and I, I happened to be best friends with J.J. Abrams since we were five. Right, so he would make these super eight movies and I would be in them because he needed somebody to, to be in this, you know, little two minute thing where, where he's holding the camera here and he's stabbing me in the back with a knife and, and killing me, whatever. And so we, we grew up together. He being this genius filmmaker from you know, the get go and me learning at every step just through osmosis and through just doing it, all the stuff. And then Matt Reeves was a really good friend of ours at a very early age. And, and, uh, and, it's great screenwriter Mark Sanderson and and just over the years you build up these relationships. I lived, you know, grew up in L.A. Um, and you know you lived in Burbank for many years. It's everyone around you is in the industry, so you don't think it's something that you're like, oh, I've got to get on a bus and go out and fight this big, you know, behemoth and try and break in. You're just in it. You're in it. You bo you're born in it. My my dad was in the clothing business. My my. Um, my mom was a great, just a great housewife, and I mean, a great mom. So, you know, I didn't have any any family to to kind of blend in and, and do it through that. Um, but um, I just loved it so much. And then uh, JJ and I lived together after college, shared an apartment together, and I was going out for commercial auditions, and he was writing, and you know, um, I was we were, he was working at a yogurt store, and I was you know driving for a Joel Silver, who was a big producer. I got a job as a driver. So I was literally driving. And so, and then all of a sudden he sold the script and I got a commercial and, and then he made a movie and I, I got a TV show and it just happens, you know? And, and uh, I just never gave up on it. I, I, I always had a day job. I never considered myself a full-time actor until I was on a series, which was Felicity was the first thing. And that was because of Matt and JJ, you know, I, but also because of me begging and pleading. I mean, part of, you know, no, tell, part of tell me about that because it's funny because, you know, you always think, and it's like anything, if you know someone like it's JJ's show, you guys are best friends. You know, he's going to, there's a guy who lives in LA named Brian Herslinger. He directs a lot of Lifetime movies. He's good friends with a comic, Jay Black, who lives back east. They write together. So Jay, they write screenplays together and Brian directs them and Jay sometimes gets in them. But it's one of those things that when you have a friend, you know, you don't want to ask, but you sort of expect it because you guys are like best friends. And not it's not like someone who's sitting there yeah. going, "Oh yeah, I uh, we we took an acting class together." You're best friends with them. So how did that how did that happen that you ended up on Felicity? Because you were you were already getting work, but you had but you weren't. Yeah, but getting work, you know, you're getting work. You're doing a commercial. You're doing a guest spot. You're doing that. You're looking for that break. You're looking for that full time. I mean, nothing's ever full time in our business, right? I mean, you're on a series. I'm, I'm shooting a show right now. That's why I have these long sideburns. And, uh, you know, I'm like, OK, well, I know I have five more episodes to shoot in this season. And then who knows? You know, it's like the job is going to go away. Imagine you're working for a company and you're like, oh, I'm going to work for this company for, I don't know, six weeks is what we got to guarantee on the store being open in the mall. And then we'll see. I mean, it doesn't happen. It's so unique to any other business. Um, but when you're an independent contractor like that. Um, a plumber is the same way. It's like, oh, I've got this big house I'm building or this big apartment building. And then I don't know what the hell is going to happen. You just, you're a hustler. You're constantly hustling. So that started, I mean, we're, we're closer than best friends. Like JJ and I are like brothers. And so he's the type of person in my life that I, and Matt too, where I go, 
you know, hey, JJ called me up and go, I'm thinking about doing this thing. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And I go, okay, who am I playing? Right. I mean, I, I, there's no, there's no, oh, listen, um, I don't know how to ask, but it's, ex it's expected. Like we want to work together no matter what. So we have so much fun. He's in a, in a position to hire me, certainly. Um, you know, that's just the hierarchy of, of our business. I don't say I'm going to act today. Oh, I think I want JJ to write this. It doesn't happen that way. It's reverse. So it's constantly reminding him or, or you know, I'm in his head. He writes stuff for me. Um, I'm very lucky that way. But Heroes, you know, Heroes was my biggest thing I ever did outside of Star Wars. And so Heroes was an audition. You know, one thing just begets another. Um, and it's just work. That's that's just the, the, the my motto has always been just work, 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 even if it's Big ass spider, like you said. I mean, it's one of them. I'm proud of that movie. I helped produce it. I starred in it. I, you know, it's a big project, little project. If it's working with great people like Lombardo, like Mike Mendez, I'll do it. I'll do it in a heartbeat. Now, Felicity, you know, that was a newer show. It was, you know, people, you don't know what to expect. That's the thing about TV. You can never tell what show is going to be a hit. Going into that, I mean, and that just, that got legs. Carrie Russell, I mean, everything was, everyone loved that show. What is that like for you when you're you're going in and all of a sudden you see it growing? What's that like for an actor? And then it has to change your life because people are starting to recognize you. And it's it's a demographic that's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it was 18 to 30. I don't think there's a lot of like 60-year-olds watching it. So it's not like another show. But right. what was that like for you when you all of a sudden, you know, as you said, you do have to work all the time. And you were out busting your ass and keeping a day job. What is it like when you can finally say, you know what, man, you know, we, you know, we, we're, this has legs, you know, this, I'm making, I'm making a check. Like I'm, I'm not sitting there getting a commercial, yeah. which now commercials are, don't pay like they used to. But what was that yeah. like for you as a young actor? And also to be, as you said, working with one of your, your best friend. Yeah, it was, well, what's interesting is that like, they got to celebrate the, uh, the regular gig uh, more than we did. M Mandy and I, Amanda Foreman and I were both, um, guest stars so the first year i was just guesting so they i i i'd wait for the you know jj to go hey we put you in another episode i'm like whew, awesome and the show was a hit so i was even more so going oh, i hope i'm in next week i hope i'm in next week and then i wasn't in the next week and then i was in the next week after that oh this is good oh and i would just try to you know not try to steal scenes but they wrote some really great stuff for me and so when the call came Oh, and, and by the way, it was, I, you always have to force their hand. They never want to commit to a series regular except at the beginning. You know, they, they set their cast at the beginning of a show and then they go. And that it's really hard to be added to a cast. You have to have um, either the, the show needs you, the storyline needs you, the fans demand it, um, the writers love you, whatever. So I, we, I did the first year, Mandy and I did the first year. And if you remember, Mandy's character was Felicity's roommate. And then we both got popular um, and they were writing to us and we were integral to the story. And then uh, I ended up, because of that, I auditioned, you have, to, you have to force their hand. I auditioned for another series and I got it. And I had the opportunity to say yes or no. And then I, then JJ had the, uh, um, had the, you know, the, uh, the weapon to go back to the network and say, we're about to lose him. That's the way it happens on a show like that. If you're if you're not you know a series regular from the beginning, and then knowing that they were going to lose us, they said okay, and they made us series regulars. So everybody got to celebrate this incredible show. I I, I saw it growing, and but I was like I'm still like, so 
And then, you know, uh, then we were made series regulars, which was awesome. You know, it's every time I watch, my kids are college athletes, and every time I, I, I see some kid who was not on scholarship, I'm sure you've seen these videos, and then all of a sudden, you know, at a team meeting, they're like, all right, so uh, linebacker uh, Williamson, uh, you're doing a great job this year. You just got a scholarship. Like, this kid has been paying for college, two jobs. His parents can't afford it. He's kicking ass so much that they then give him a scholarship. That's what it was like for me. You know, it was awesome. Now you start getting recognized. I mean, what is that like getting recognized? Because once again, people, no one can prepare you for that. You know, that's like I, take, I talk to people who go to acting school. You know, they have this long in acting, but then they get out and they never prepare you to get an agent or deal with all the rejection and all the bullshit that goes through, you know, thinking you have a part and then getting canceled. I mean, I know people who sat after the first table read of a show and they're like written out. They know what prepares you for that. They don't prepare you for fame. And so what is it like? Because, first of all, when we're younger, we're all cocky. It's just the way it is. And, if you know, I always say if we're in this kind of profession, we're part insecure, we're part narcissistic. It's like a mixture. You know, we, we want that. But so what is it like for you when you're this guy who it didn't come easy? As you said, you were had to, and not because you got another part. That's why, you know, J.J. can push it. What is it like for you when all of a sudden people start recognizing you? Because it must just be a weird feeling. It is. It's it's odd. Um, you know, we all run into each other, but we don't know we do. Uh, that's something that if you really think about it, people say to me now, or even when they first started recognizing me, they're like, oh, I saw you at the market the other day. And then I saw you again at, uh, you know, at the so at the so and so store. And then I'm like, oh, you did. Like, I don't reckon we're seeing the same people over and over again, but we don't recognize them when you're famous, when you're when you're recognizable it's a weird thing. People just feel this like uh, ownership or most people, you know, most 90% of the time, everyone is so sweet. So nice. I mean, it's a really nice thing. If that I happen to be fine with it when somebody goes, Hey, I love your show. I'm like, Oh, thanks. You know, <laughs> it's, it's strange because every situation is different. People come up and they're like, like I was on, I just got on, I just flew to San Antonio to shoot something. And then I, I was on the plane and I'm sitting there and, and uh, I was in group one so that all the other groups are coming in and every, like there were like, I don't know, 10, 12 people that were like, Hey, hey can I take a picture? And they're taking a picture. And then the guy next to me is like, Hey man, who the hell are you? I have no <laughs> idea who you are. So you got it. You, you're dealing with this. So you can't take it seriously. It, it's fleeting. You know, you're like, Oh, hi. And, and, and you don't, you can't go, Hey, look at me. I'm super important. Everybody knows me. Cause it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. And then the guy next to you has no clue who you are. So it's this balance of like, you can't really take it seriously. You just have to, people are so lovely. And and one thing about being recognized in this crazy messed up world we're living in right now is that you do realize that most people are just genuinely nice, sweet people. And I get to see that. I get to experience that because they, I don't care about their politics. I don't care about who they are. I don't want to get into that. I don't want to know anything. They say something nice to me. I say something nice to them and we move on. I mean, that's the way the world should be. And if somebody needs help, help them, you know, don't we, we all, it's like us against them. You don't get the love. You just don't, no one comes up and goes, ah, you know, <laughs> it's like, they don't care. They're taking it face value. You're that guy on that show and that's it. And I'm that guy from that thing, you know, and it's nice. It's really nice. It's like a, 
a little bit of a relief from uh, from all the other crap that we see out there. Now, you know, after Felicity, an alias comes about. So once again, you you know, you're you have a good streak there. You know, when you look at your career, I mean, you were, and that's another show that I mean, I don't even know if Jennifer Garner was that popular at that time. I don't I don't think she was. I mean, not what she is now. But for that show, how did that did? Was that also did JJ come to get you, or how did that? How did that happen? Because that, I mean, yeah. that was a very popular, that was, a, that was an ABC show. So now you went from a, you know, WB or whatever it was, which is great. Now all of a sudden it's ABC. So I'm sure in your eyes, you're going to make it a little more money because it's ABC, but it's, yeah, it's got to be doing it. I'm doing it longer so you can demand more things, you know, in the contract or whatever. But, but no, for me, it was, I had no choice. We were on stage seven and stage nine was right next to each other. State, and this is at Disney. Both shows were touchstone Disney shows. So I was on, and both were JJ shows. JJ said to me, he's like, all right, so you're playing this new character on this new show. I'm like, I am? He's like, yeah. I go, awesome. He said, uh, here's the problem. Felicity's still shooting, Alias just starting up. So there was one year where I was on both shows. You just don't, that's unheard of. It was crazy. And he said, Felicity's going to ramp down, and I want you on this new show as this, as this agent. I'm like, fantastic, let's go. So I, there were days where I would be Sean Blumberg on stage seven. And then I would, I didn't even have time to go to my trailer. They were waiting for me to, for the scene to start over here. And I would take this off, you know, put a suit on, go onto the stage and, and do my scene. I mean, it was just awesome. It was such a great year. I did Hollow Man that same year. So I was doing three things. The Hollow Man was this huge movie with Kevin Bacon. And so it was, it was a, it was really a crazy time. I got thrown into the fire, but you learn and you take one day at a time and you got to know that just as quickly as it comes, it goes away. We all have these moments. I mean, I, I've been very, very fortunate. It's been relatively steady, um, you know, very steady compared to most people. But it's it, it, there are dry days and there's days you get used to that pace. And then suddenly you're like, what do you mean I'm not on a show? What do you mean pilot season went by and I didn't get a show? Or I got I booked a pilot and it didn't get picked up. What do you mean? That doesn't happen to me. You know, it's like I never was like that. But God, man, it's it. it reality slaps you in the face you got to save your money well what's it like as an actor though when you when you're sitting there and you're on two series and you're shooting and you're playing two different characters i mean it's not like you know it's not like you're saying okay you're gonna be the same character in both shows you're you know you're recurring as for you in your mind frame in your in your mindset you sit there i mean did you ever screw up and find yourself like being the other character because i mean you're sure you i mean because that's something that you know we do that all the time we don't think about it you know you you've you forget, and when you get in a moment, but for you, it wasn't like, hey, you know, okay, take this time to learn. You and Plus, you had to learn a lot of dialogue. I mean, how does someone manage that? Because, as you said, not many people have two shows going at the same time. Yeah. Well, it's not like I was playing, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a murderer and a comedian, you know, two different uh, ends of the spectrum. You know, my characters are very close to who I am. I'm that best friend. I'm that buddy. I'm that reliable guy i played a lot of cops a lot of like th those types of people so you know sean bumberg was a little bit <clears throat> more of a bumbling kind of guy in, in felicity but that was easy and then uh not easy but you know it was easy to get into that character and then and then the other one was an agent it was really cool it was like it, cowboys and indians you know it's just like it harkens back to when you were a little kid and you're like all right i'm the good guy i'm trying to do the right thing you know it's it, it, it wasn't, I mean, I'm not Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm not, I know my place. I know that I'm, I play characters that are close to, sort of close to who I am. And I, I try to embody them. Um, you know, Paterno was a really ex great experience. I got to, you know, uh, 
to, to have Al Pacino play my dad and, and, uh, and I wore this big fat suit and I, I was, I was, I was Scott Paterno. I mean, I was playing a live person, a person who's alive today, who has history and I can go on and, and watch him on videos and, and news reports. And he's an incredible guy and, uh, a, a lawyer and, and smart and, and funny and quick. And, um, it was just like, it was great because I got to pick up things, but that was, cha- that was more challenging. And it really, that's where I felt like, oh man, I'm really, I'm really out of my element here. I'm really somebody who's not, not that dissimilar to me, but not as similar as some of the other characters. So those two roles, when I had those two, <clears throat> Felicity and Alias, it wasn't that challenging. It was more management that was challenging, you know, but it was exciting. It was so exciting. You know, I went from nothing to being on two shows now what's it like acting with pacino like because you know that's like pacino i mean it's you know there's there's certain thing when you just when you say pacino de niro everyone if you, i would say if you don't know al pacino is you might as well be living under a rock i mean i think right. everybody knows exactly. but what is that like for you in your mind when you come in and also what is it like acting in a fat suit is it is it tougher do you have to get the whole used to a whole body cadence or so for sure yeah, I mean, you know, you you had to, uh, you know, that that whole thing was a, it was a physical thing, and it was uncomfortable, and, and but it's uncomfortable to be 150 pounds overweight. It's uncomfortable to be that. So I used it. I was hot. It was, you know, it was like a, a big pillow. It was, you know, um, I, I'll tell you one. After a week and a half of being in a house together, uh, you know, the set was a house. Um, Al. It, you know, um, Al Pacino and I are in the other room. He's like, come in the other room. So I have a question for you. And we start talking about boxing. He's, he's a big boxing fan. He was the greatest. To answer your first question, the greatest. At the end of the day, it's still a human being that's sitting across the table from you, and you have dialogue. But he's, I think, one of the greatest living actors we have. And so for, for me, it was, very, it was intimidating. But at the same time, he is just a, such a professional. He's so generous. He listens. That's the most important thing I've learned from some of the incredible actors, Harrison Ford, all the people that I've got to work with. They listen, you know, and that's what I try to do. Acting isn't just he says his line, I say my line. She says her line, I say my line. You've got to keep it alive. You've got to be listening to other people. And then what they say makes you then say your line. Think about your line. You know, that's being a human being. We don't all I don't know what I'm about to say to you. I'm waiting for you to ask me the question. So when you ask me the question, I've got to hear it. You know, it's like all of that's that processing stuff. A lot of people don't do, and you can see it on camera. Um, Al is just, he's just great. And um, so a week and a half in, we're sitting in the other room. We're waiting for the shot to, and Barry Levinson directing was crazy. And we're in the other room where we're waiting. And, and he says to me, he's like, can I ask you, can I tell you something? I said, yeah. He goes, look, when the show's over, you should, uh, you should really think about losing some weight. And I said, um, Al, I'm, in a fat suit and he's like what <laughs> it was the greatest and he had a and i said well you, you should think about getting a nose job motherfucker and because he had a prosthetic nose on and we laughed it was so funny he's like i had no idea and he's touchy he's like oh my god that's incredible it was great but it that must so be great. a compliment to you because you were pulling it off so good that he thought you yeah. were that weight a hundred percent a hundred percent to the fact that he's just so into himself that he didn't know. No, I'm kidding. He was he he couldn't have been more gracious. He was so great. 
Oh, what an experience. Now, you mentioned Heroes, which also a huge show. You had to, How was your process to getting on that show? Blow up. Like, you know, there's some shows that blow up, and they don't have... They're not, I don't, they're not like a top five show, but they have a fan base that is just vigilant. I mean, crazy. But how did, how did uh, Heroes come about? So Heroes was, I was under a deal with NBC and, and I had uh, said I want to do comedies and, and I really want to do comedies. I love doing them. I love being funny or whatever. So I had a show that I was number one on the call sheet. It was about, it was my show. It was great. It was fun. It was anything. And it just didn't get, it didn't work. And then um, they were sending me other things. And then I, and then right before the end of pilot season, they said, you know, um, it'd be great if you want to do a, a drama. I'm like, yeah, send me whatever you have. Like, I want to get on a great show. And they said, well, there's this new show that um, that you'd be right for. And so they had gone through some casting and they hadn't found that Matt Parkman character. And then they sent it to me. I read it. I was like, oh my God. I mean, the script was incredible. It was dense. It had all these details it had photos it had drawings it had all kinds of stuff in it which scripts never do and uh which either says the script's going to be horrible and they're trying to mask it with all these things or it's so well thought out you know and uh and that was the case it was just brilliantly written um i they said go in and read so i read, went in and read for uh you know tim and and uh and jeff and all the guys and jesse and i was terrified i was like uh I wanted this so bad. Whenever I want something, that's when I get well, I get nervous, you know. But I went in and I read for Milo's character because they didn't have my character inside. So they're like, yeah, just read. So I read and they they were like, all right, here's the good news. Um, after I read, and I could see that they were like, they were really into what I was doing. And they said, all right, here's the good news. Good news, bad news. Bad news, that's the worst, uh, you know, Peter Petrelli we've ever seen. Um Good news, it's the best Matt Parkman movie. And I'm like, who's Matt Parkman? It's another character. It's pretty fun. I was like, okay, well, whatever. I left there. They didn't give it to me or anything. I'm driving home, and the network, I mean, my agent called and said, the network calls. They want you to play this part. I mean, driving home. I didn't get home. And they said, if you want this role, it's your role. And I'm like, yes, I want this role. 100%. They said it's a small, smaller in the pilot, but... And it, it, you know, it's an ensemble. It, it was right place, right time. That show uh, was wildly popular. It, it was all over the world. It was like number one all over the world at one time. You know, not a long time, but it was, you know, but we went on to do four years of that show, five years really with Heroes Reborn came back. It was, I'm so proud of that show. I'm so proud of that character, being able to be, play a real character who has powers, you know, and to be able to sell that and, my character had this, you know, could read minds. So it was very, uh, it was that kind of personal. You're dealing with the brain. I've been dealing with my son's brain forever. It's, it's like, it was just, there was so much to it that I identified with and um, the emotion of it being in other people's heads, hearing their inner thoughts. It was just layered and fun and, and the great cast, great crew. I mean, what a, what an experience. Got to travel the world doing press for the show. It was, it was just, like I said, it was like a dream job after I had a couple of, dream jobs you know it was it was unexpected and great and that was the most popular that i ever became i mean like as far as recognizability people were just they they and still to this day everyone's like oh heroes was so great your character was great it's it's just one of those things that you you hope that you catch lightning in a bottle and that was certainly that what happened to it why did it why did it end oh just like any other show i mean it just ran its course it was you know it was four years. We also, timely enough, had a writer strike uh, that happened 
in the second year. So all the momentum, all the stories, everything they were going towards, it came to a screeching halt. Then when we came back, um, we did a half a year and then we made up for it. And then we, it was, you know, it's really hard. It's, it's hard. It's once you get that train moving, it's so successful. It's like, all right, now we're on. And then all of a sudden it just stopped. And, um, you know, I'm in the middle of that right now. I'm shooting a show. We did four episodes and, but the show hasn't aired yet. So it's different. Um, so when the, when the audience sees it, it will be complete. No one knows that we've been working on this for two years. Um, but we have, and we're about to go back and finish it first season. But um, the momentum is everything. You know, every, everybody's clicking on all cylinders. Everything's working. And then all of a sudden it came to a screeching halt and heroes. And then we had to pick it up again. And then it's just, it's a tribute to the writers. I mean, they really did a good job of salvaging it, even though it was confusing at times or whatever. I, we loved being on it. Well, you know, it also it, it, it brought you into the convention scene like Comic-Con and all that stuff. I mean, what that must be a great feeling because, as I said, you know, you talked, and we'll talk to, about Star Wars, but I think the Star Wars, Star Trek, like I know people have been on Star Trek and they say, like, they'll see you on an episode and then they'll know every work you do. Like, they'll go yeah. and IMDB the shit out of you. Be like, oh my God, this, this, this. What is it like for you when you, all of a sudden, as you said, you were popular and then this show blows up and then so all of a sudden you're going to a con and people at those cons treat some of your actors like your gods because they are so into it is that does that ever get scary like if you're at an event like that i mean i'm sure it's usually great but it has to get scary sometimes yeah i mean the, the scary part for me is that um everybody's walking around with a weapon they're all a character and they're wearing a weapon and you don't know if that weapon's real or not there are some people that blur the lines out there so there that is something that i've been more and more aware of over the years but most everybody is really sweet it's great i mean look i you know being in heroes that's what launched me into that world but then i'm i did star trek and star wars and so it's like the the, the fan bases they're just great they embrace you it's like this community that you're a part of and there is an ownership a lot of people they you know like star wars they're like oh your mom was the best fighter in the th i'm like what are you talking about my mom but they read the books and they read the, the graphic novels and then it allows me to do some of the great things that I'm, some of the things that I love that are, that, that, you know, I have a graphic novel series called Dream Jumper. I mean, that would never have been, I have two up, two books out, we're working on the third, never be able to do that if I didn't have the support of this community. And, um, you know, and also partner with Lucas Turnblum, who's a great illustrator, but still, it's like that Comic-Con community says, oh, you know, you're our guy, what do you have, what's next? And then it translates back to the the philanthropy work and the, and the charity work that I do. You know that you have the support of the Star Wars community, the Star Trek community, certainly. They're very charity-driven, and they all want to support the actors. They want to support their families. They want to support their causes, and it's been wonderful. Now, how did Star Wars come about? What, were you a big Star Wars fan as a kid? Were you? Yeah, I mean, I... I loved it. I, it was one of the first things that I remember leaving the theater and still thinking about. You know, you, you leave the theater and you go, wow, that, that, that was a great movie. But I was thinking about the characters and where they came from and their relationships and, oh, that means this, and trying to tie people together. It was the first time. And George Lucas, what a genius. I mean, incredible. It was really, it, it, it took me to another world that after, very, after a very little time, I felt familiar. You know, I was like, what is this? And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, it's a very unique thing. It's hard to do. And he did it. He captured me. And then JJ, it's all because of JJ. I mean, JJ, you know, 
got the helm to 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 write, produce, and direct, and and decided, hey, I want you to be Snap Wexley. I want you to be an X-wing pilot. So, again, it's just our desire to want to want to work together and be on the set together. I had a, you know, relatively very small part compared to everybody else on in Star Wars, but man, there was no small parts in, in something like a Star Wars. You know, people they embrace it. So you've worked with so many great people. How was Fablements? How was it working on that set? Because it's Spielberg. I mean, it's like, yeah, as you said, you got, was... you got Levinson, which Diner is one of my favorite movies. So, you know, uh, when, you, when you hear never. Levinson, I go, that's what yeah. I always think. That and Avalon and, and you know, Justice for it's, All. It's, it's interesting because, like, I auditioned and I put myself on tape. And I sent in the tape. And then two months later, I got a call saying, so the um, Paterno, you're, they want you for either the one of the two brothers and i'm like what are you talking about like I, two months later i'm gonna remember an audition i had and they said <laughs> oh yeah i mean usually you send a tape and then you have an in-person audition and you meet the people nope these are professionals they know what they want they see it and they go yep that's the guy that's the guy stop i don't want to see anybody else that's him or they say let me look at those five tapes again and then they pick you that's the way you should be done um if you have a reputation, you know, they check you out. Oh, yeah, he's fun to work with. He's not a pain in the ass on the set. And then you're fine. Spielberg, same thing. I auditioned. I had no idea. They didn't say it was Steven Spielberg. They just said, this is a top secret thing. Sign an NDA. I'm like, okay, sign an NDA. And it's one scene. I don't get to see the script. They didn't tell me it was Spielberg's life. And then, and, and by the way, I'd met Steven uh, through JJ, you know, a couple of times. Very briefly passing. And he was also a fan of Heroes, I remember. So I had no idea. And suddenly I get the call that, oh, yeah, you're in the Spielberg movie. I'm like, what are you talking about? What Spielberg movie? They said, that audition that you did about three weeks ago, that was for a Spielberg movie. I had no idea. It was so cool. Look at this. It was so cool. <laughs> I love these new features on uh, on Zoom. But um, so, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. And working with Steven Spielberg, man. Oh, that was what is it like? Tell me. Tell me what, because he's so, he's a legend. I mean, what is it like working with him? Because he just seems like a great guy, but he's he also is. a legend. He, and it's like. Yeah. And for a good reason. He knows what he wants, but he's also open to people doing little things that will make things better. I mean, when he sees you do just a little look or a little thing and, and you hear him from behind the monitors, just like. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God, he's loving what I'm doing, you know, or, you know, cut. He comes up to you. And he's like, OK, it was great. It was great. Um, I just would uh, I would get to that moment a little quicker and uh, and then just, you know, milk that. Take that in. Take that in a little bit more. I mean, I just remember it's just great notes. It's very specific notes, not generalized notes. You know, when, when a director comes up and they're like, you know, this character, I think, would uh, he, because of his history, maybe he went to uh, Harvard and. So he, he's like, what does that have to do with what I just said? Like, give me specific notes. Like, come on, let's get through it. And he is so great. Spielberg, Steven Spielberg knows exactly what he wants. He knows how to articulate it. He's a, he's just, he's such a, um, a little kid on the set. So is JJ. I mean, they just, they, they are just, ex, just as excited to be there as you. It's not about them. It's about the project. And um, they, you better be prepared. Know your stuff. And get it right and get it, you know, work out all the kinks before you get there and then do it. Um, but just awesome. So great. Levinson, Barry Levinson. I mean, like 
getting a note out of Barry Levinson was was hard because he loved what he was seeing and he's just like great I love it you're like okay I mean it was just you know I don't know I, I, they, they just are very specific they have you know they have these tricks behind the camera where Barry Levinson has like three cameras rolling at the same time so even if you don't think you know you're they're on they're on Al but they're getting me as well and and he knows he got that reaction. He got what he needed. And he moves on. I mean, it's the, no, they don't waste time. When they see it, they know. A great writer, JJ's an example. He's my best friend, but it's really true. When he sit, puts pen to paper, he's writing the eighth draft of when you and I sit down and write the first draft. Like, they've already self-edited in their head, right? Spielberg on set, too. When they direct, they're like, okay, they, they get it. When they see it, they know what they want. That's it. Um, so... I learned that way back with Paul Verhoeven. I mean, it's like they just know what they want and they know, you know, get it a little faster <laughs> because he knows he's going to transition to this next moment. He knows the movie's in his head. Um, so it was just a, it was an incredible experience. And then when you see the final thing, like I'll, I'll work with somebody and I think, oh, that was so great. And then they don't use the take that I preferred, that I loved what I did. For various reasons, they'll use a different take and it's not disappointing, but it's like, okay. It's fine, but it's not. I, I know I did better. And when you see your work and it's the take, they see what you see. It's it's magical. It's like when you when you see it, and you go, "Wow, that was that's really cool." I didn't I didn't know that's what it looked like. The DP is just beautiful, lit you beautifully. Whatever I don't know. You know, Fablemans was like that. And and then also to be able to give to be the character that gives a young Steven Spielberg his break. I was like, that's awesome. That is so cool. Now, really cool. I, I mentioned up top about Law and Order SBU, and you did a great job on that. That was that was a that was a really good Thank episode. You. My wife's a huge fan of that, so we always end up watching it. You know, we sit there, we, the DVR is like the downfall, because it's great, because you can always watch stuff, but then you, know, yeah. you get your TV addiction. What was it like walking on that set? Because people I know have been on that, have been on that set as guest stars said, They've been working together for so long, it's like a well-oiled machine. Like, it's, you know, yeah. the, the the crew, everyone's like a family. What is that like for you walking as, you're you're still an outsider. You know, it's, I know it's, you're an actor, you're a character, you know, and this is your character in the show. But what was that like walking on a set like that? Um, well, it, the expectation, in my position, the expectations are high because, you know, you walk on the set and uh, people are like, you know, Mariska is like, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm so excited. I, 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 you know, I'm a fan of your work. I'm like, you're a fan of my work. Like, I love you. I mean, she's incredible. And a lot of my stuff was with her. It was, it was just such a joy. They welcomed you. You know, it's not always like that, certainly, but um, they are a well-oiled machine and they welcomed me with open arms and the director was incredible. It was just a, it was a great, great experience. And also shooting in New York. I mean that's the best. It's the best. It's the, the city's alive. You feel it. You're, you're you're walking down the street. You're shooting in real diners. I mean they have great sets, the, the courtroom and all that. But um, I, that was a, an experience I'll never forget. And it's a show that will go, just go on forever. That episode's going to play forever. That show is always in syndication. You know, it's such a fondly uh, appreciated show. Now, what's the show you're working on right now that you have to grow sideburns for? Can you talk about Can't that? Talk about that. Okay, no Can't problem. It's, it's one of those things. Can't but, talk about it. As a matter of fact, I have to run to a wardrobe fitting. That's okay. where I'm off. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I just want to ask you, um, just tell me, who, you, you've met Pacino, you've met Levinson, you've met Spielberg. Who 
who are some other people that you've met that you were just blown away by either their kindness or their talent? Like, I know you're, I, I know you're on Monk, and everyone says Tony Shalhoub is the best. But, I mean, what was it like working yeah, I mean, with him? And that, that I also, I also, you know, on Monk, I worked with Tony Shalhoub and, and uh, the whole crew, everybody. Um, it, 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 look, I, I've, I've had these experiences over and over again. I've been very, very fortunate. Henry Winkler is another one. I did a movie called Group Sex that I co-wrote with uh, Larry Trilling. He directed, I produced, and starred. That had Tom Arnold and Henry Winkler, Kim Whitley, and, and uh, I mean, there's so many great people that I put in that movie because it was my movie. But then you get the opportunity to walk onto a set. Um, you know, I worked with um, the Coen brothers, and uh, Tom Hanks was in that movie, and I didn't work with Tom, but saw him at the, um, at the uh, premiere and then I worked with Colin Hanks and just so many great people over the years that I've been so lucky. I've just been really, really lucky. And I and I do my homework and I prepare. And, you know, everybody's they're, they're just human beings. They're all the same. You know, they just want the best for the project. If they're really good at what they do, they care about your performance as much as they do their own. And and uh, it shows. So, you know, I, it just keeps going. I uh, I just feel so lucky to be able to work with the people I'm working with right now are unbelievable, unbelievable. I can't wait to go back to New Mexico and, and continue shooting. So it's, uh, it never changes. One final question. Yeah. Talk about it. What is, what are your goals in the next year for talk about it and bringing the awareness to epilepsy? Do you have any goals set out where you want to? Um, well, we're continuing the caregiver series. Yeah. We're continuing the caregiver series. Talk about it. Um, definitely is going to reach more than just epilepsy. Uh, that's why it's called talk about it, not talk about epilepsy. We're gonna be hopefully removing the stigma and helping other conditions. We're already uh, you know, helping out with um, AFib and we're helping out with cancer. We're helping out with Alzheimer's. My mom was recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So there's a lot that we have to do. We have a lot more to do in, in the world of epilepsy, but the support we're getting from the community is just wonderful. The podcast that I'm doing that, uh, called Talk About It is, I think, I mean, I'm so proud of all that stuff. It's the most important thing that I'm doing. Like all these other things, it's like, it's great, but this thing is sticking with me. And um, and I love it. I'm so proud of my son. Jake's doing well. Like I said, he's he works at Bad Robot. He works with uh, his, you know, Uncle JJ. So it's it's great. He's he's loving it. And, and you know, these can, when, when you, no matter what condition you have, if it's cancer, if it's epilepsy, whatever it is, you have that condition. The condition doesn't have you. And it's important to know that. And the more you involve yourself, the more you talk about it, uh, the less stigmatized it is, the less fearful it is, and the more empowered you feel. You're part of a community. We're all in this together and people wanna help. Don't be afraid to, to, to accept that help. And, and, and if you see someone having, someone in a wheelchair, someone with a cast on, someone who, who has a twitch or they, you know, something, Talk to them about it. Ask them about it. No one wants to be stared at. No one wants it. It's like everybody, this is who they are. This is what makes them unique. You know, if you think about it in that way, don't have pity for them. Don't, don't, you know, and also if you see a caregiver or you know a caregiver, I know you mean well, but we don't want to hear when someone says, oh man, how do you do it? You're incredible. Like that's not what we want to hear. We're doing what we have to do every single day. We appreciate it, but at the same time, get involved. Get involved. Talk about it. It's Epilepsy Awareness Month. Talk about it. That was awesome. I want to thank you for coming on. People, 
Go follow Greg online. He's on Twitter. He's on Facebook. Go to IMDb. Look at all his uh, past credits. Go watch his shows. You can also follow me uh, Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 980 episodes up there. You can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time.